<laughs> I just noticed that I had the tab open for for the YouTube, and I kept hearing the song play back like in an echo, go. and I was like, "What's going on?" I just realized, exactly. "Hello." <laughs> So professionally, are always after fifty some odd episodes. We think we'd have it down, but yet every, we don't. Every, every day Sunday. is a new day. <laughs> There's always something every Sunday. Hello, hello, welcome, welcome, everyone. Welcome back to Chill to Action on the Call to Action Network with me, your girl, Danny Joy, hanging out here. Happy Sunday. Welcome with my favorite co-host, as always, Mr. Polynesia. It's me, it's me, it's PLD. Happy to be here as always on Chill to Action. We have a great time here every Sunday now. It used to be Monday, but we're back on Sunday. Uh, and I'm happy to have you guys all here in the chat waiting for us as well. And uh, we have some great guests today. Oh. Great guests. But before I introduce them, I think I want someone else to introduce them first. If you're, uh, if you're open for that. Let's just play it. Hello, this is the hardcore legend Mick Foley sporting an epic beard. And this is a shout out to two Schmodown legends, Sam Levine and Rachel Cushing. Watch your back, Jericho. I might be coming for you soon. Salute to Call to Action and have a nice day. Yeah. Well, the hardcore legend shouting out to Schmodown Legends. Uh, one is a repeat guest, our first uh, of that since Team Action. Uh, we're always, well, she's always welcome on our shows and on our channel anytime. And our first time guest as well, Living Legends indeed, Rachel Cushing and Sam Levine. Yay! Hey, it's us! It's <laughs> you! Wow! <laughs> welcome, welcome, Sam, Rachel. Thank you so much for coming in and hanging out with us on this Sunday evening. Thanks it's for having us. Our pleasure. Yeah. So the, the first question we always ask, Danny. The first question that we always like to ask y'all, Rachel, you, you've answered this before, but you were more than welcome to answer as well. But Sam, I, I, I'd like to ask you for sure, how did you first get involved with the Schmoes and with the Schmodown? Ah, so I there is another podcast uh, hosted by someone who's now in my faction, uh, Mr. Doug Benson, called Doug Loves Movies. And back in the summer of 2011, um, Doug did a whole bunch of in-studio versions of his podcast where he asked me to host one of his games. And, uh, and so uh, 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 Mark and Christian were guests on that in-studio show. And that was the very first time I met them where like, I was sort of hosting the game portion of the show. Uh, and so I got to know them and we all hit it off. And then uh, I remember Christian and Mark both saying, hey, this is so much fun. We'd love to have you on our podcast sometime. Uh, so I said, sure. And I gave them my info and then they followed up not long after that. And I came on their old Schmoes No podcast. And we talked about, uh, you know, some of my acting work and things like that. And and then I, I was happy to go back on, I think, again, maybe a year or so later and um, you know, eventually they had me on to play some games and it just fell into place from there. Oh. And here we are full circle now. You got Doug Benson on the usual suspects. So it's yeah. all come full circle for that. Uh, actually, it's funny. I, I listened to the Christian Harloff one on one episode he did with you. Oh, yeah. And uh, that was already said Doug Benson knows movies. Yeah, well, that's the name of the podcast. <laughs> so that's what you had him on. So that's great, though. Uh, yeah. 
Well, I, my big question then now is since you were so early on in the, in the Smodown, like season three, the first big match season three, what do you think of how the Smodown has developed from then to the behemoth it is nowadays? I think it's tremendous. Um, and, you know, uh, it is a testament to how much effort and love uh, and time Christian has put into it to watch it grow from this goofy thing they were doing in real crappy studio space that was not even a studio, it was a house, um, into what it has become the last several years. And, and even, and in spite of what COVID has sort of made the show look like the last several months, it, it hasn't stopped growing. Uh, it has not stopped evolving and it's like the blob. <laughs> like at this point, we can't even control it. If Christian wanted to kill it, he couldn't. It's too big for him. It's 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 its own entity. So no, I'm I'm blown away uh, by by how much really the fans. Let's be honest. The the the, the base of of fandom that has just grown season after season, month after month is. It's undeniable and it's pretty impressive. And hi, Larry Lease. It's nice to see you too, my friend. About to put that up there, Larry Lease. Nice yeah. to see you, Sam. Thank Thanks you, Larry. As always, uh, Rachel. How about you? As far as now, you uh, now that we now you've stepped away for your it's about a year now, just about over a year when you got you retired. Yeah, almost exactly. Yeah. So how has it been since you've retired versus now? Uh, things have gone. Well, I, I've always loved that Christian is always trying to find new ways for it to evolve and to grow and to surprise people, to keep the core and keep the people and keep the thing that, you know, the all the original fans loved about it, including myself, you know, the trivia being the core of it. But, you know, the slow and steady growth of characters, the slow and steady growth of, you know, the rivalries and, and the competitiveness and the competitive nature of it. But this season, obviously, you can't talk about the Shmoedown without talking about factions. And, you know, I was a little bit a part of that before it was a thing that everybody was a part of. And I, you know, thought it, it, it very much was a huge piece of why I succeeded the way that I succeeded. You know, having Emma as a manager, having Clark as my partner, having Mark Andrego as uh, a faction mate, like that that foursome really gave, I think, Clark and I the confidence to do the things that we ended up doing and kind of wished everybody had that. I remember at the time there were players who were like, that's kind of unfair that they had <laughs> people in their corner to study with, to help with challenges, to be there, to calm your players, work with your players through the matches. And Christian realized that that was a huge aspect that was kind of unexplored across the league and so this right. season he said no this is what we're going to do everybody gets representation everybody gets a squad a, a group of people that they can work well with or maybe not work well with that's happened too <laughs> yeah. it's, it, i think it's really changed the game in terms of strategy like what mike has done and chosen to do and in, in not taking a number one contender match and playing in the tournament like that's a fact that's that's a, a, an effect of having factions. So, right. you know, that's really been a huge thing this season that they're still navigating. You know, there's, right. there's a lot of stuff that they're figuring out with it. But it's once again, it's like anarchy. You know, it turned everything on its head, kept the core that everybody loved, but also introduced all these new elements that are affecting the game. 
Yeah, uh, absolutely. There was a, uh, whenever the factions were first getting started and the managers were kind of being uh, announced, there was one manager that hadn't been announced by the time Spectacular came around. And there was huge speculation that it was going to be Rachel, that Rachel was going to be the manager that was going to be announced. Like everyone, like everyone was like, it's Rachel. It's obviously Rachel. It's got to be Rachel. So how, how fun of a secret was that for you to keep, Sam? Like ha- waiting until that moment to announce that you are the the next manager for this. I'm. It was it was fun because you know I mean the way Christian and I talked about it, he was like, oh, it's gonna be great, man. It's gonna be like we're giving him a new pope. I was like, I don't think it's gonna be <laughs> quite as wow. big as that. Those are words he used to me, and I was like, it's not. It's not. Let's not overdo this. Like two people might be happy, but other people would be like, all right. <laughs> okay, that's cool. Right on. I was like, I'm, it's, if as long as it's that and nothing lower than that, I'll be fine with it. <laughs> it was fun. I'm glad. I guess I'm glad nobody was like, boo! <laughs> <laughs> that could have been, could have gone. Imagine. <laughs> a little disastrous, you know, but you just turn heel and it's all good. So. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I do want to ask, like, Rachel had mentioned how the game has changed strategizing-wise, strategies and everything else. I mean, Sam, you were pretty much like, I would think, like the godfather of the strategy. You were really one of the first ones who really started strategizing with the games. How have you seen, like, now that all these newcomers are coming on and the Batemans, the Kalinowskis, the, the newcomers are just all about the strategy. Have you, have you, uh, do you, empathize with that? Or do, you, do you like how that's uh, going with that? Or? Look, I'm always about studying uh, uh, every aspect of a game so that you can learn how to play it better. Or if you physically, if if for whatever reason you can't play it better yourself, mm-hmm. you can at least teach others. Maybe you lack a particular skill to um, take full advantage of a, per, a particular strategy. Uh, and so that for me has been what's wonderful about managing is, you know, there are certain skills that I lack as a player uh, that uh, others do not lack. And, and they're able to, um, you know, uh, uh, probably do a little better than I could. Um, so I have I have great respect for people who take the time to learn strategy, although there is still one strategy that it boggles my mind that not every single player does not who has the opportunity to does not go second in round two. Well, that's a, for some, for some for a people, it's just a personal preference. Yep. I will never be able to argue with a personal preference. But right. if you want to talk pure strategy, there is no reason to ever go first. I I happen to agree with that. We, that's the team action way as well. We, we followed action for a long time. They have said the same thing. You always play behind. You know where you stand. You right. Know and also, right. And you're not necessarily playing from behind. You're in, in baseball, you're still going to get the bottom half of the right. inning. Right. The home team. You know, you it's know not as if, it. yeah. It's, and, and so that's, you know, the, the notion of, well, you don't want to play from behind. Well, no, it's not like they're not going to ask you questions. They're not going to remove the option of asking questions. You'll always get your opportunity to put up your own points. So right. um, I feel like, People sometimes get the wrong idea when they talk about, oh, I don't like to play from behind. Why not? I think no, right. that's, uh, I think it's just the wrong terminology. Right. They don't have the right frame framework to describe it. It's that's a like you said, I I still would argue it's a strategy, but it's a strategy based on knowing yourself. 
knowing how you play in any given situation. So if you know that you're the kind of person that sees those numbers and can't analytically turn your mind to the, Mm -hmm. to that frame of reference of, I still have to go. Some people look at that and go, Oh my God, I have to get nine points. How, how are we going to do that? And that messes with their ability to then answer the questions. You know what? This is why we're perfect. (laughs) Let, allow me to rephrase then because what she said makes a lot of sense. So on paper, yes, if we're all machines, <laughs> particular emotions from certain players and things like that removed on paper, you should always go second. I agree. That is uh, awesome. emotionally, I know you're right. I've had other people say that they go for sometimes if there's momentum involved, they feel like there's momentum involved, they can kind of keep going with it and make it so then at the end of the day, they're already up and it's like keep that momentum going. But uh, intimidation, I've always heard like it's a, it's an intimidating factor going first and then putting up like if you know that you're going to do well or if you feel like you're going to do well, you go first in the second round, put up all of those big points and it's just basically the annexation of Puerto Rico for mm-hmm for round two. Yeah. So put that okay. in. Appreciate the reference. It took everything in me to not like write down like inglorious bastard, like side notes and stuff like that. Fair enough. Uh, Well, you know, also, we mentioned already, like, you've been retired uh, from active competition now. Uh, What do you, both of you, I'm kind of curious now, think of your legacy in the game? Because you both kind of left on top. Uh, I mean, Sam obviously retired with the title. Rachel, you just had, you lost your last match was the way you gave up the title at that point. Uh, What do you think of your legacy now, as far as that goes? Um, you know, that is such a dangerous term legacy. Um, so I, I, my hope is that after I stopped playing, after I left competition, um, that if people think of me, they think he was a good player. He was a better than average player. If I can just get that out of people, then I'm very happy with how I left uh, because honestly, when I stopped playing an active competition, I was not really thinking about legacy. I just, I, I was so comfortable on a personal level with how I had done and what I set out to do for myself in the game. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I had accomplished everything that I wanted to do. And I was very comfortable calling it a day right there. And for me, my own personal idea, you know, or a legacy as we're using the term, I'm fine with it. So as long as it's fine with other people, then that's good. I think it's more than fine. (laughs) What you did. I mean, because at the end of the day, no matter if this goes on 10 more years, you're still the first person to win two belts and to do it the way that you did going through the tournaments. And, you know, you probably had, excluding maybe the Patriots, but it's like, it's kind of different because they won the titles and then it was just about defending them as many times as they did. What you did, how many matches you played and the amount of time that you played them and how much you won in that, like whatever six month period that I don't think anybody had done anything like that before. And so, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's nice to be able to cut to, to end and say, well, I was the first to do these things. Other people are eventually going to probably do them. Like, I mean, I, I was not far. No, you were not. Getting two belts. No, you were not. Mike was at my heels. And, you know, and so that's that's inevitably how it goes. And, you know, you can argue the Mount Rushmore stuff. The longer it goes, the harder it is to name four names. Because, right. every, you know, everybody's going after the being the first 
to do something, um, especially as the league changes too. Right. So, and also, somebody wants to sneak Teddy Roosevelt in there every time. On your TLS, I know founding father. Yeah, I don't think. So. Come on, what are we doing? <laughs> well, I know Rachel's been asked that, but given the legacy now, Sam, now that you've been gone for, have you ever have you ever felt the itch to play again? Ooh. No, I've not. <laughs> not, it's not at all. You've not felt the itch. Um, but he uh, does often ask, you know, um, why weren't those the animated oh. questions asked back in my day? <laughs> <laughs> almost every match wow. now. We watch them. He gets the round one animated questions more often than not now. And every he's like, what? what? <laughs> Where were those? Why? Well, I feel like when I was playing, it was like, in Toy Story, this character you've never heard of had half a line. <laughs> <laughs> It's not even choice That's too easy. It's like in the Black Cauldron. Who <laughs> the frog in the thing? Now it's it's like, hey, who's the second lead in Cars? <laughs> we, I, I feel like we've all have seen the Schmodown kind of change and go through, especially like with uh, competitors. I, can, I always like to make fun of Ben Bateman because Ben Bateman was always like the first one to say like, who studies? Who studies for this? Mm -hmm. And then his legacy like down the line is like he's one of the most like in studying, like he studies so crazy. So um, my it's. One of the things, I've been a fan of the Schmodown for a very long time. The trivia is what got me into it, but the strategy and the gameplay is what has kept me in there. And for you all as uh, competitors in this, is that something that kind of always was appealing to you about the Schmodown, was being able to find strategy in trivia questions? I think I got there eventually. Like, it certainly wasn't in the forefront of my first season of play, maybe even into the second. You know, probably because I was just, too nervous just to be up there trying to answer questions about movie trivia. But it became clearer and clearer that there were certain things that you could do. I mean, whether you call it strategy or just simply recognizing your weaknesses and going, all right, I should probably start looking into those. Like in the early degrees of studying, like we were both part of that. Sam's infamous for having watched 45 animated movies in like the span of two weeks or something like that. <laughs> 45. Um, so, you know, and I did some work in the categories that I needed to, to work on. And I recognized kind of early on that inner geekdom was the kind of thing where, you know, your my knowledge got me through those first couple matches. But I realized that to win, to beat somebody like Hector, who had the belts at the time, and then Jason, that you would have to put, I would have to put in the work on the, on the, the movies I knew a little bit less. Um, and then I have to say it was when I joined up with Clark, when we realized that there was strategy in you know, when we always said, we always communicated between every round, you know, you, we, you, you connect, like, how are you feeling about this? And we would decide spin first, spin second, based on that, the um, betting round. We played a lot of five rounders. Once you win the belt, that's all you end up playing. So like, you think about all of those rounds so strategically, who goes for the two-pointer, who goes for the three-pointer. Um, and also, it's much more talked about now, but at I remember when we first got to be teammates, I sent her a um, Excel spreadsheet of every wheel to uh, round two wheel slice. And I said, rank them. Tell me what, how comfortable you feel on these. And I told her what mine were. And we used that to help decide which categories we put on the wheel based on who we were playing. You know, we were some of the, originally we talked about like, we're going up against Mark Andreco and Jeff Snyder. We're not putting horror up there because we know they're just as good at it as Clark is. So you go right. for a different strength and you play that. 
now people are taking that to a whole other level, like sneakily studying for something nobody thinks that they're going to know, putting it on there and crossing. I put it in my throat. Oh, I didn't. Sorry. I heard Excuse me. Oh. Have a drink if you need them. I got it. I got it. Yeah, I'm just take a sip here. Um, that that is very clearly a strategy now, but it was something Clark and I were doing pretty early on, and I think people were starting to recognize that you could start doing things like that, and it's definitively evolved. And then again, factions come into play where people are starting to share. Like we didn't tell a lot of people that. You know, but if you're in a faction with a group and you say, oh, I've kind of always approached it like this and everybody has different ideas about that. And now it's sort of getting out there, the other possibilities of, of how to deal with strategy. Ooh, that's interesting for me because now I'm thinking of uh, next season, um, as far as I can remember, and maybe I need some brushing up on this, but I think that managers are only allowed to keep three of the players that are on their factions. So that's just in my brain because like any of the other players that are in your factions that you've given your strategy tips to. Sure, that's absolutely, you know, there's, there's some people who are playing it very close to their vest, you know, in terms of, of what, exactly how they're studying. And I don't know how much they're sharing it with their faction mates or not. Mm -hmm. um, as if anybody's watched uh, backstage, Bateman's apparently got a foolproof whole new system that he's going to be putting into effect. And next season, he plans on winning completely with this whole new foolproof system. Wait a minute, I know it. Is it watching movies? <laughs> I'll find out. We'll all find out. I guess. Oh yeah. That's what Drew said. Drew says Bateman doesn't watch movies. That's a, that's always a big problem. That's what he always said. But you never well, know. Well, that's the issue with five pointers. That's five yes. pointers these days How? are they, 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 they're tending to be the plot specific ones, right. and he doesn't like them because he can't figure out a strategy to get around that. Whereas most of us like them because they speak to the bottom line core part of the show, which is people watching movies, answering trivia about movies. Look, the studying is a huge piece of it, and everybody should be doing that to some degree to be competitive these days. But at the end of the day, it's also about how many movies have you seen and how much do you remember about them? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And it's actually a difference. That's kind of been the difference I've heard talked about between inner geekdom and, uh, mm -hmm. and the regular the singles leagues and teams leagues because there's only that finite amount of movies in inner geekdom versus mm -hmm. the, such a broad based uh, category. How did you find the difference between tackling the inner geekdom league and tackling? Could you, could you do both at the same time? They know, like, for example, some people have decided I can't do the singles league, now I'm just going to concentrate on inner geekdom. Yeah, no, I, I realized um, the so my second year I played in all three. And right. it was too much. Right. My, my right. first and second year. It, it, it got to be when I was in inner geekdom mode, I, and I played an inner geekdom match and a, a team's match in the same day one time. And that was like, it was just, it's a frame of mind. It's a way of thinking about things. And it's hard to switch again, like not a machine. I couldn't just like flip the switch and be like, think about things this way or think about things that way. Um, and inner geekdom even now more than even when I was uh, first starting in it, it, it got to a place where don't enter the inner geekdom if you haven't memorized every film, who directed it, what year it came out. That should be the, the first thing you do when you join the inner geekdom. You need to know those things across the board. You should probably throw in composer and like the main couple of leads in their names too. 
Like those are things you just, if you want to be competitive in that league, that's the first thing you do. And then you watch every single movie and you take notes on all the things that you think could be asked about. And there's clearly a somewhat formula to it. Like you can tell like, you know, names of places, names of MacGuffins, things of that nature, movie quotes, like there's certain things you learn to be on the lookout for, but you have to watch those movies again and again, jotting that stuff down or doing however you helps you remember it. Um, and with regular, the, the regular leagues, when I studied for them, it, I wasn't writing a lot of specific notes down when I was watching them, unless they were super famous movies for whatever reason. Um, most of that was just like, you know, going at it from a filmography perspective or a year perspective, whatever your in is to, to be, you know, um, learning that information. And that's the part that it's, you, you devise your system, whatever right. your system is, you know. And there have been a couple of different ones, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think so. so I, I know that for me, like I'm I'm just a fan of the Schmodown, but even when I'm watching movies, I catch myself like this is a note that I should take for the Schmodown, but I can easily take myself out of that. Do you all now that you all are both retired and I know that you all are working with your competitors as as managers in in, in a little like kind of manager? Mm-hmm. Said, uh, can you still do that when you watch <laughs> movies? Are you able to take yourself out of a movie and enjoy it, or do you const are you constantly in schmodown mode? The problem is we're together, so when you get the two of us sitting on the couch about to put on a movie from like HBO or something like that, we don't immediately start it. He'll hit play and then he'll pause and go, "Okay, what year to come out?" <laughs> <laughs> Is it, we do that. We both do no, that. No, what, what the game is, is I put something on cable that is old, old to us, you know, 70s, 80s, and I'll say, how fast can you guess what it is? Oh, we've done that too. That's much more there, common. There are a lot more versions. There's a ton of versions of this that it's, we're talking about. Yeah. So he'll, he'll put on something if it, the movie's already started and it's like 20, 30 minutes into the movie. He'll try to guess which scene we're about to jump into the movie on if you just click on that panel. We enjoy that game because I can play that alone. <laughs> this sounds like a podcast waiting to happen, to be honest. With you. I'd love to watch this, the Rachel and Sam show as they do this. Would, would the two of you ever do a podcast together talking about movies or, or anything? Uh, it would be about wine and cheese. Ooh. I actually talked about it with us. Riley and friends, and we spent a lot of time talking movies and wine and drinking wine with them. So um, we've often said that we also just drink wine and stream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> we would inevitably go into movies. The last time that we had wine and dinner with dinner with them, <laughs> we oh he had he had a bunch of scores on Alexa, yeah. and we oh. were just sitting there yelling out whatever movie we thought the score was from while we're dr- like, these are the things that we do with the people that we've met. <laughs> yeah. oh, Very nice. I love that. That's a great story. Well, let's get into your managing since you have uh, dealt with that this year. Go from like the draft. Did you have a strategy in mind right away? Did you know right away? I got to take my boy Drew. Drew and Drew. There were there were a handful of of moves that I knew I wanted to make. There was only one that was an absolute guarantee because I had the number one pick. Uh, beyond that, uh, Rachel, I have to give her credit. She worked so hard giving me a okay, if this person is available, we get them. If they're not available, then we go for this person. If mm-hmm. that person's not available, we go for them. And I mean, she had every different 
um, uh, you know, round pick completely mapped out for me. So wow. there was no guesswork in the moment on the day of. I think right. you just threw me under the bus. <laughs> doing very well. Well, my picks apparently weren't the best. <laughs> Hang on. Hang on. Deep diving. This was, let me rephrase. No, not rephrase. Let me add more to this. This was a, this was a list that she had pitched me that she and I looked at and carefully worked on before draft day. Okay. Okay. We had a lengthy conversation about this list. And no, I'm not throwing you under the bus. Yes, the, the, the faction is not doing as well as we had hoped, but that is not on us, number one. Yeah, tell that to the fans. I'm sure. Uh, and number two, look, one. I'm sorry, but when my number one draft pick unexpectedly, without telling me ahead of time, claims to retire and leave the game, yeah, that put us in a very difficult spot. Yeah. Things happen. Trades are made, and I'm very happy with the way uh, the trade th th that I made worked out. But if that had been a beginning of the season thing and not a middle of the season thing, things might look very different for the suspects. And and look, it's very, very, very easy to decide who is a good manager and who is not a good manager based on the outcome of matches. Right. There's there's a lot of names for that in sports. Monday morning quarterbacking tends to be the easiest one to go to. And man, oh man, there are an awful lot of Monday morning quarterbacks when it comes to Schmodown fans. And that's fine. You guys are absolutely within your rights to go, well, turned out that was a bad move. What you're not allowed to do is go, turned out that was a bad move, and I bet $5,000 on the outcome of that because I was so certain, and here is my evidence. Right? <laughs> Hindsight 2020. Well, it's uh, very easy to say, well, that worked out bad for Sam. He's a bad manager. It's not as easy to call that and put your money where your mouth is. And if anyone wants to show me Vegas bet slips from January of this year, calling how my my season was going to play out, I'd like to see those. <laughs> Fair enough. Put them, on, put them on Facebook. Put them on Twitter. Let them know. Uh, guy retired? Because Guy was your number one to pick, right? <laughs> You said true. Uh, this is the action fans, so <laughs> these, these are, are things fans. that they're going to go for. Yes, 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 yes. I will say this, and I have always said this about guys since the minute uh, I drafted him into the usual suspects. And I say this to him all the time, as as many chances as he will give me. <laughs> I never, I never take, uh, never miss the opportunity to tell him, you are my number one <laughs> guy. True, I can corroborate this. <laughs> very, very nice. Very nice. <laughs> it's very hard for me for me to not say that the next day. <laughs> well, actually, you brought up everything I was going to say because I wanted to know from the beginning what happened, and then, then again, I was going to say that when Drew McQueen retired, that's like February, wasn't it? When you retired, that just threw your whole game off. You have Ethan Irwin now. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, COVID happened also. That definitely didn't help either because we didn't have matches for the first, like, any real semblance of matches for the first, like, quarter or so. But now you got your big guy back, Ethan, kind of replacing Drew McQueenie in that slot, so to speak. Um, you got him the singles tournament, and he's got a match coming up against Tom now. Mm -hmm. How's that going preparing for Tom? Is he repair? I mean, Ethan seems unflappable. Um, 
But will Tom's character throw him off at all? I don't. I can't see how it would. But I don't. I don't think uh, character work has ever been an issue for Ethan in terms of getting in his head. Uh, you know, when he's playing against someone who's not, you know, a, a sort of a more straight player. Um, and look, Tom's a wild card. Okay, he's he's a really big unknown. So uh, I, I will say this about Ethan. It does not matter who he is playing. He never underestimates anyone's abilities. Uh, and I think that's one of the reasons why he does so well is he treats every player, whether it's their first match or whether it's someone who's won multiple belts, with the same level of respect. And, and the assumption, this person knows movies. So nothing's easy. Nothing is a cakewalk. And beyond that, though... The, the Ethan is one of these guys where studying for him is watching movies. Yeah. And 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 that's what he does. This is a guy who watches hundreds of movies a year. Um and it's not just that he watches all that all those movies a year. He has a great memory. He has tremendous recall. Yeah. And those those two things I think are what make champions. Um Dan Merle is a guy who sees hundreds of movies a year and has tremendous recall. Right. Uh, and, and there's a reason Dan has been as successful a player he is, and I believe that is it. Uh, so studying certain ways is one thing. Um, but if you want, you know, if you want to be a player like Dan has been, like I believe Ethan is and has been, you got to watch a lot of movies and you have to have tremendous recall and that's what he does. So in terms of strategy for a guy like Ethan, there's really not much I can do to help him. He does it all on his own for the most part. And he recognizes like you did the, the, at this stage, what you should be watching mm -hmm. is the things that, you know, you might need to work on. I mean, he's gotten an inordinate amount of animated and Disney questions. Yes, he has. And he's, been, and he's been working very hard on so that. So those are the movies, you know, yeah. that he knows that he's, he should be. And he's been watching them. Yeah. Uh, much to his chagrin. And they are painful if that is not your genre. And I know the pain. Uh, and uh, yeah. And um yeah, no, the only real strategy he and I ever discuss is probably what to put on the wheel. And, you know, I mean, I'm not going to give away our strategies, uh, but, uh, but yeah, that's probably the most active strategic uh, decisions he and I uh, have, have made. Do you uh, feel like as, as a manager with, with a player um, on the level as Ethan, do you feel like as a manager sometimes it's just best for you to just kind of step back and let him do his own thing? Absolutely. With yeah. a guy like Ethan, honestly, I want to make sure that I'm, no matter what I'm doing, none of, it's not getting in his way at all. Uh, because he's a guy who gets into a rhythm and you don't want to, you don't want to break that rhythm. Right. Yeah. I, I feel like that's a, that's a, it, like going from a player to a manager has to change some sort of strategy inside of your brain because you're not playing for yourself anymore. You know what works best for you as a player, but now you have to put yourself inside this mindset of what works best for this person as a player. Have you found that transition for both of y'all? Have you all found that transition kind of easy for you? Like, do you find it easier to, to teach rather than play? Or is it sort of the same sort of thing? Do you miss playing anything like that? Um, I'll say this. Uh, I think it's easier to study for yourself because um, 
or maybe it's not, I don't know. Like I knew what my I knew what my weaknesses were because they were the questions I was missing. Mm -hmm. Um but for all I know, I had a giant weakness, but it never really came up a lot. So I wouldn't know to study for it. Um, but in working with other players behind the scenes, uh, Rachel has wonderfully helped put together mock matches and, you know, almost Iron Man type uh, matches where we just will get a few of our players and we'll just sort of ask them question after question after question, covering a wide variety. And we've discovered, hey, you missed eight of the 10 questions we asked in this genre. You know, I know it's never come up and you might have thought you were stronger in that genre, so you might want to focus on that. And that's something that just on my own as a player without a manager or coach, I might not have ever realized. So to, to that end, I think it's I'm, I'm glad that we have the ability to help people sort of realize areas they might need more help in. And or the flip side is, hey, remember this thing you thought wasn't a strength of yours? You hit eight out of eight questions we asked. <laughs> so if you're looking for a new wheel slice that you think is going to throw people off, we just found it. Bingo. I like that. I love that. Okay. And this is just for me. Just I'm an an animation is my favorite shit. It's my thing. So I have to ask you, Sam, like out of the 45 movies that you watch, I'm not going to ask you what your favorite one was, but which sure. one stands out to you the most? Like which one do you remember the most out of those 45 that you watch? Which one do I remember the most oddly? And I don't know why, but I'm answering which one I remember the most was Monsters versus Aliens. <laughs> <laughs> That's DreamWorks, right? Am I right on that? Yeah, I believe that. Yes. All right. Well, we got the other side, though. We have the Teams tournament coming up. Uh, obviously, when you traded for Ethan, did you automatically, was that right away, I'm putting in with Andrew Guy, was there ever any thought that you were going to maybe reunite Time Machine, for example, because they had been a team previously? What was that thought process? Uh, nothing, no decisions I've made, uh, as a manager have been instant like that. I, I try to give everything as much thought as I can before making any big decisions like that. Um, it was one of many things that I'd thought about doing, and I'm glad that the stars aligned in a way to allow it to happen once that was what I thought was the best play. Um, because I think they complement each other tremendously. I agree. Um, I, I knew it would be very easy to look at uh, Guy's last match and think, oh, I don't, I don't know. Maybe something's off about him right now or whatever. Um, anyone can have a bad day. Mm -hmm. Anyone. In fact, I believe Andrew's name comes up typically when people talk about anyone having a really bad day. On the that equation. <laughs> um, so and no no player should ever be judged by one match. Agreed. Um so and I'm I would never hold that match against him. Uh so that said, I do I have always had tremendous faith in Andrew's skills as a movie trivia schmodown player. And I do firmly believe what he brings to the table combined with what Ethan brings to the table really is a dangerous thing. So I am very excited to see these guys in action together at long last. That's 
it's where Guy shines. He loves mm -hmm. playing in teams. He's been part of two uh, amazing teams in the past. And, you know, and he kind of got left high and dry a little bit when McQueenie retired. So, you know, he was he was so excited at the beginning of the season to be playing with McQueenie and to make a run. And they had that ridiculously narrow loss. And, you know, so that put a little bit of a halt into it, but they, they were ready to, to go again. And then McQueenie, you know, unfortunately outside circumstances in life, you know, he had to step down and it left guy hanging. Um, but he knew with as much, you know, certainty then, as we've known about him, that teams is where he's best at. It's mm -hmm. he compliments people really well. That's where he can do his best work as a character and as a player. And like Sam said, mm -hmm. the best teams are people paired up that lift each other up in terms of their strengths and weaknesses. And that's one hell of a pair in mm -hmm. terms of that. So yeah. it's, you know, we, we really wanted, you know, it's too bad factions can't have two teams and it was like a 16 team tournament because we right. really wanted Janine to get an excellent partner and, and, yes. you know, to jump in there too. Um, right. But she agreed, Drew agreed, Ethan agreed. This was a, a conversation, you know, we talked about all the possible possibilities and everybody agreed that this made the most sense for the faction. I yeah, I, I want to ask both of y'all um, about character work because it, you have arguably one of the best characters on your faction, Andrew Guy, our Lord and Savior on this podcast. <laughs> uh, working with characters inside of the Schmodown and all of that has been a part of the Schmodown, not, not since the beginning, but has always kind of been something that has been there inside of the Schmodown. Um, how how do you all feel about working with someone like Andrew Guy, who who has a very distinct character in this game, and and trying to like manage that? Do you feel like it, it's a factor in any sort of way, or are you just kind of like Drew, do your thing, but make sure that you answer these questions? <laughs> you know, it's 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 tough because um, some of the players in the Schmodown, the character work is their favorite aspect. You know, they, they would be happy to not get asked trivia questions at all because they just want to live in this character in this very fun space. Right. Um, and with Guy, I think it's a pretty, it's like a 50-50 mix. Like, he really does love movies and movie trivia. Um, and he's really good at it. He is also a very gifted actor and loves, you know, creating these characters within the Schmodown that he lives in. So, you know, it, you always, you, you hope for a good 50-50 mix, but it becomes tough if you're not having your best day as a movie trivia player, um, you know, and then it can, it can make you almost feel like, oh, well, the character stuff I'm doing, maybe it's, it's, it's not working because I didn't have a good game, but I, it, it, it's, it's difficult because, um, you know, with, and I, I know this comparison has certainly been made, you know, with professional wrestling, you can put all your efforts into your character because most of the time they know what the outcome is going to be. Right. Of, of the day. Right. So it's, it's one giant aspect not on their minds. Right. Um, and uh, movie trivia showdown players who are doing character work do not have that peace of mind. So it's, I think it adds a, a pretty large level of 
anxiety to some people. Um, but honestly, last match notwithstanding, I don't think Guy's character work has ever gotten in the way of his ability to play. No. I'd agree with that. I would agree with that. I knew he... Uh, I would say that maybe the digital format might hurt him a little bit in terms of he likes that energy of the crowd. I think he likes that energy. He definitely field. does. Yeah. If yeah. if I can throw a baseball reference out there that maybe one person in the chat will get, or you, Paul. I might. Uh, I think uh, Guy, my my comparison to Guy is he's Javier Baez. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, Absolutely. He Playing in an empty stadium not hurts Baez. Mm -hmm. He's not a player built for that. Andrew Guy is built for live matches with a crowd where he can do his thing. Um, and that still works in studio, too, because there's people there. Right. He's, as long as you give that man an audience, you give him someone to perform to, right. he's in his zone. Right. Um, so it's definitely harder, the digital uh, transition. But I think... For him, the the the, the game changer is going to be with Ethan next to him. That can change a lot. Yeah, it can change a lot because it's not just him out there anymore. Now he's a duo. Now he's got someone to bounce off of with regularity. Um, and and frankly, with teams, there's just more people in the window. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you have more faces on that window. It's just what he needs. So right. I, I feel good about it. That's good. Is it challenge? How 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 challenging has it been trying to prepare for a team? Uh, Adam Collins and Marisol McKee, rookies. Now Adam Collins is obviously on one of those big runs, uh, and Marisol has also looked very good, only beaten by Pauliama when he threw a perfect game. Uh, but they have no no real game tape as far as their team together. Is it challenging preparing for that kind of team? What do, what do you think, Chief Strategist? <laughs> <laughs> Well, the good news is that we're talking about Ethan, who, like Sam already very eloquently said, it's not as much about the individuals that he's playing. It's that he's just, a, the assumption is these are people that are going to come to the table with possibly as much knowledge as I am. So I'm going to focus on me and what I'm going to bring and how to get myself in the best frame of mind for that. And I think the same thing will be with Guy. You know, um, the 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 main question that, you know, we're really talking about is like, well, what do you put on the wheel? So like that's conversations that are happening. And, you know, if you don't have a lot of game tape, do you just go with what you feel comfortable with? Or do you take a stab? Because there are wheel slices that 90 percent of competitors aren't that strong in. Occasionally somebody comes out and surprises you with one or two of them. But they, the gamble, the numbers still work in your favor to possibly play one of those. So there's a lot of, you know, talk around that. But I think that the two of them, you know, know that it's more important to, um, to focus on themselves and what they need to do to come and pitch the best game that they can against people that have proven that they're capable of that too. So when you're up against that level of a player, I don't think it's smart to concentrate too much on the opposition. I think it's smarter to concentrate on what um, you're doing to prep yourself. Yeah. So especially, so this is a question for competitor, Rachel, competitor, Sam, take those manager hats off for a second. So this digital era that we're in, like as competitors, do you all feel like this is a completely different like battlefield that you're going through in a sort of way? And are you ready for this this sort of era to be over? Um, you know, it's so funny. Like, 
every player is different when it when it comes to this. Um, like if you ask Ethan, the digital uh, uh, way the show has gone now, it doesn't really phase him. Like he enjoys being asked and answering questions about movie trivia, <laughs> whether it's in front of a computer by himself in a room, whether it's in a studio with eight people, whether it's on stage in front of 500 people. Um, he, for him, it's not really much more complicated than that. For other players, like like I think with, with Guy, like it doesn't work for him the same way. It's it's He can't compartmentalize it like, Ethan can in that way. Like he thrives. He he's, he's drunken master when he's got the crowd. Um, so for me personally, I think I'm more like Ethan. I, I think it, it doesn't really factor in that much to me. Like you're going to, I enjoy being asked the question and I'm going to answer it if I know it. And if I don't, I don't. And, you know, I think on the, secondary level like it'd be a bummer like if i won a huge match and then i can't immediately walk out of frame and high five everyone and hug people um you know on the flip side i think if i lost a big match i'd be much happier to be at home and by myself already because many a player having lost a big match have just walked out of the studio not oh. to be rude yeah. not trying to be mean or they think they were cheated or anything. It's just really emotionally tough for people sometimes when there's a lot on the line like that, all you're studying and hard work and it's hard to take that loss and they just need to be alone to emotionally process it before they can be sociable again. And there's nothing wrong with that. I don't think there's anything wrong with either of those. So for me, I think I'd be okay um, doing the digital at home but I totally understand people who aren't. And, uh, you know, I, I know there's a lot of people who want to get back to in-studio, and I'm one of them. How about you? Yeah, I think that given my nature and, and what people know about me, I would probably play fine from home. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe even better for all I know. It, it's kind of hard to say, um, given just my own internal makeup of everything. But even though... You know, when I started out and, and being in front of the camera is still something, you know, that it's it's even years into it would sometimes just catch me off guard and be like, this is weird. Why am I doing this? I didn't ask for this. Um, but you but I it's synonymous for me. I think of the Shimoda and I think about playing in the studio because that's what I did. And mm -hmm. that's what I know. So that's what I was prepared for more often than not. And. You know, so for me to play from home, I don't necessarily think that I wouldn't be able to answer questions, but I do think it would feel odd. And I right. think that like just not having that vibe of the murmur of people hearing the questions that you're being asked and exclaiming if you get it or don't, or the wheel spin when it hits opponent's choice, that groan that hat, like those are part of, like I said, they're synonymous with it for me. And I think that for a lot of the, old school players that are playing in this digital world that that's the intangible thing that we can't say for sure it's affecting whether they get the answers or not but it is affecting the experience gotcha. um, 
And uh, I don't know. Like, it, it, it's just an unknown. You, you can't know. You can't play the same match twice, go back in time and play it from home, and then go back in time and play it in the studio to know for sure how right. it affects. But um, from, just from a, 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 you know, a, a retired player but fan standpoint and stuff, there's just something very special about the studio and us all coming together because we would shoot four matches. So everybody's there for each other's matches and everybody getting ready in the green room and off in the corners with their different prep styles. And then it's the, at the end of it, that huge sigh of like all the winners and losers and then coming together for a drink across the street. Like there is just a camaraderie and a community that, um, that I really miss with everything, yeah. but it's, it's hard to know. I mean, I think that I, if I was still playing it, I'd be killing it, but you know, at home and we both play along and she has gotten more perfect round ones more perfect round twos that matters but you know from she's home, going a hundred percent top to bottom it's unbelievable to watch you still got the muscles. You still got the muscles. That's all you need. You still got the muscles. Damn right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, just, I, I do. I do want to say, um, just like female to female, Rachel, it's been wonderful watching you compete inside of this. I feel like most things that I'm into are are, are male dominated. That's just kind of the world. But so to be able to watch you and Clark and every other female that has gone inside of this league is so nice and refreshing because it it makes me feel okay to be here like it, it it's so random and, and awkward to say but like just having that tiny bit of presence is so welcoming and i feel like the schmodown has and like regardless of facebook and all of that stuff but the schmodown in general has always been inviting um to to female competitors it's always just kind of been a shame that certain things kind of push people out of it but I just have to tell you, Rachel, like from female to female, I genuinely appreciate you being a part of, of something like this that that helps me feel good in a space. So it, it, regardless of what it, what other random douches want to say on the Internet, just from girl to girl, I, I'm so glad that you're here and that you're still here, especially knowing a lot of the stuff that has happened like You've been a complete and full inspiration. I, I just need to take this opportunity to tell you that for sure, for sure, because you're you're wonderful and you're great, and I appreciate you so much. So thank you. Thank you. That means so much to me because I mean I've talked about it on this show and in other shows in terms of legacy. Like it's awesome that I won two belts and that I was you know the first female to do it and everything else. But that what you just said means way more because. I'm old enough to know what it feels like as a little kid, as a little girl, to be into things like Lord of the Rings and and hiding it from anybody but my family. Yeah. And, you know, that kind of thing is something that Clark said it very eloquently when we won the Yodi Award, like the, that if we can show women, girls that, you know, there's no such thing as boy things and girl things to like and to be into and to be a part of communities and competition and, you know, trivia doesn't know gender or race or color, sexual, or it doesn't know any of that. Like it, it, none of that matters. This is a completely equal playing field. And, you know, it's still harder for women a lot of the times just because of the, the, the backlash from the unknowns, from the people, the, the, the keyboard warriors and whatnot. But, you know, to push through that, I think hopefully shows other women that they can too. And that the more we do it, 
the less those people are going to say anything because it's just going to become more normal that women are just as big a part of it. So um, that thank you for saying that. And, you know, that hopefully we keep keep spreading that message in one way, shape, or form. Well, it's up to Absolutely. us. It's up to us to do that. We got a, a voice here. We got to just they got to push out the the that very vocal majority at that yeah. point. That's that's uh, the keyboard warriors like that. But we're Clark's, keep doing it. Uh, Clark's quote: "We are the league." Is still <laughs> like something that completely resonates inside of of every of everything that we do. So it's it's a big thing for us. So always thank you. Danny, how do I follow it up with like a regular question? You know, what I, mean? you like, I don't think you can, Paul. I think that's <laughs> a great trend. You <laughs> I had one like ready to go, and uh, you know, I'll just do it anyway at this point. One more. I mean, Sam, you mentioned uh, at one point, Sam, being emotional, uh, getting emotional in the studio and everything else. Um, and that also happens to be in the match itself. You're definitely one famous for challenging questions or challenging uh, items in here. Now, this has been the year of the challenge. Uh, how, has, how has that been for you? You were the only one to challenge, not the only, but you were the, the big key. The challenge child. didn't exist when I was doing it. Right, right. I mean, you would challenge, you would challenge anyway, but not really challenge. Right. <laughs> so how do you feel how that this has become like such a thing this year and uh, the special challenges and the momentum I mean, changing challenges and everything? We've had a few and, and you know, look, there's there will always be debate. I'm going to say I'm 95% of challenges there's going to be a way to debate, oh, this person shouldn't have challenged. No, they absolutely should have because of X, Y, and Z. And, you know, in my my hope, and I want to give a tremendous amount of credit to uh, uh, to PJ Campbell um, and all of the writers this season. Yes. There are many, too many to name. Um, they have been crushing it. They have not just been coming up with great question after great question, but they have also been doing the due diligence to make sure that all the questions are correctly asked, correctly phrased, factually accurate, things like that. So every now and then something sneaks in there. So it's not really about the question. I think the large portion of this year's challenges haven't been about the question, but more about the answer, mm -hmm. which I think is very, very important to differentiate from the old challenges, the ones that I used to get hung up on, I would say, well, no, you can't because you said this movie from this year directed by this person, and that does not match up. You either, right. either a movie from this year or it's a movie directed by this person because that didn't happen that year or whatever. So I would worry about things like that, uh, where the question itself had a factual error um, and not a, an ambiguous answer. For you know, for example, um, so uh, I, I'm glad that we've sort of codified what challenges are, mm -hmm. but I don't love that. I, I think it needs to be more like baseball. Like, yes, each player, each team gets one guaranteed challenge, and if you throw your challenge out there and you win, you retain the ability to do that. But in baseball, if there's a close play. You challenge it, and you don't win your challenge not because you 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 threw away a, you know a meaningless challenge or whatever. If something else comes up later in the game that is absolutely worthy of a challenge, even though you can't officially say I'm officially challenging this, you should at least be able to say, "Look, everyone in the room knows that was real wonky. I'd like to urge the officials." 
who are within their right to say no, I'd like to urge the officials to take another look at that. Right. I think we need something like that because I'd hate to think a challengeable thing in a round one question, you know, maybe loses someone their challenge and then for their five pointer by accident through no fault of anyone, a factually incorrect question was asked. Well, it could be kind of like the NFL in a way, like the NFL on a scoring play, they automatically review it kind of thing. You don't need to throw the challenge flag. I'd like to think so. I'd like, so, you know, and I know that they're always working on, on, on things like that. And, you know, now that I'm not the commissioner, uh, I don't have uh, as much uh, uh, weight in a conversation about how things should and shouldn't be handled or rules should or should not go. Um, but I, 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 I wish that there were a way to make sure that everything was looked at appropriately. Fair enough. I've never been a fan of um, I, I'm a fan of the rule book. The, the rule book is something that I, I do think that is something that would be great for players and managers. I'm not a fan of everyone having access to the rule book. Do you feel like a rule book would kind of help alleviate some of those worries? Absolutely. I mean, in baseball, everyone has access to the rule book. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in this in MTS, everyone should know what the rules are. Frankly, I think it would help people to make more informed challenges if everyone knew what the rules were. Um, you know, like, for instance, like the the situation. You know, when once it was instituted and it was a known that if the title of something is a single word and there's a the in front of it, you have to include it, and otherwise it's it's incorrect. And that has now that now that that's known because it wasn't a done deal when Janine played chance in New York in the very first New York live event, because I was there and um, she said strangers and not the strangers. And it was challenged, but the rule had been established by a, a committee of, of people who were, who were arguing those things, thing, the thing, it was one of those really big pointed arguments amongst a group of people and, and um, deciding on rules at that point. And it was, decided that the is important when you have a single word answer. Janine didn't know that. She didn't know that decision had been made yet. So they didn't, they gave her the point. The challenge um, wasn't upheld because she didn't include the the. If there's a rule book and those kinds of rules, everybody knows them, then that that doesn't fly anymore. This, These are the rules. You're privy to the rules. So you can't argue that you didn't get this or, or right. whatnot in the, in the given challenge. For the straightforward things like that. There are so many challenges that aren't in aren't really straightforward in terms like they're like about the ambiguity of an answer given or an incompleteness or you know um, intonation about a question and how that you could if it could be interpreted in, in different ways. Those are not really rule book things that you can decide ahead of time what's going to happen. That's why the challenge still needs to exist. But there's rules. The, the saying it out loud, out loud and, and spelling it legibly. Like th- right. that, at this point, stop complaining if you don't get something, if you don't get that right. Yes, I'm probably talking straight to Roka at this point. <laughs> you know, that's what you have to do. You have to say it, you have to write it legibly. Done. Right. Everybody knows that at this point. So you can complain and say, I knew that, I knew that, I just couldn't. Well, you didn't write it, so you don't get the point. Sure. That is done at this point. <laughs> All right, Scribble Fonda. 
<laughs> very true very true well, all right i think it's time for this or that uh second segment we do here on shelter action if you haven't been here before i will be giving sam and rachel option a option b and letting them choose between them some are our usual questions and some will be tailor-made and of course if anybody in the chat wants to throw one in there and i take a, a gander and see it i'll uh, use that as well um now rachel's been through this before uh, it was about a year ago or so, almost a year ago or so. Oh almost. It's been that long. I haven't been on that long. Um, but <laughs> so the first question we always ask, and I guess I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to alter it just a smidge because I know Sam's got to answer one way right now. Sam's got to answer this one way. He can answer this question. I wasn't prepped for this. I know, but I, I'm, I'm audible in here. <laughs> <laughs> so you can answer now, but you can also, I want to know from back in the day before you were a manager as well, as an action army podcast, there was a civil war that happened. Were you always team guy or team traitor? There's only one right answer. As well, when you put it that way, yeah, right? <laughs> um, team guy. That makes sense. I'm, I'm pretty sure I made it very clear before. He is, in fact, my number one. <laughs> number one. Yeah, I can't wait. Very good. Rachel, I don't think your mind has changed since the last time we asked you. Has it? Should I should I play devil's advocate and say a nice word about my backstage co-host and go <laughs> you're on backstage now with I kind of feel like I should stand up for him in this moment. I mean we have we've taken a couple of shots at him, which I hope he knows have all been in good Always. fun. But uh, yeah, you can be you can be team trader. That's fine. I'll sleep on the couch for a few nights. That's fine. <laughs> Let it be known that I stick up for you, Ben. Okay. I like that she actually didn't say she was team trader. She's just saying she's sticking up. So that's where we're going to leave it. <laughs> uh, all right. We'll move on to the next question here. Uh, this one is uh, for you, Sam. Uh, singles belt or the team's belt? Which one was more satisfying to you? Um, probably the, probably the singles belt. Um, you know, I, I mean, you're, you're out there by yourself. Right. Uh, you either know it or you don't. There is no bouncing words off of someone else to maybe accidentally arrive at a right answer or whatever. It's, it's really just you out there. And, um, I think that was when I first started watching the Schmodown, that was really all I was concern about was winning a singles belt. I didn't even have uh, an, an idea of playing in teams for months uh, after I'd started playing in singles. So singles, the, the whole goal was win the belt. Gotcha. So that was, that was pretty satisfying. Okay. Rachel, same question. IG or teams? Um, It's a little harder for me. I agree with what Sam said. Like, the IG belt because it was, you know, where my heart was in terms of the divisions and, and my personal taste and, and having to do that all on my own. Um, but Clark was, you know, she's, she's my partner in crime. She's one of my best friends and will be a friend for life. You know, we kind of went through the trenches together. We went through a lot together to get those belts and to defend them as many times and to get them back the way that we did. Like that's, you know, uh, something, I think that that's a bigger statement. I think that that's, 
on a personal level and, you know, a legacy level and all, all this so much wrapped up into it that I might say teens because of all of that mixed up together. That makes sense. All right. Uh, I didn't realize that you could see right through my chest this way. Because oh, okay. it blocked by our names. Yeah, I've got <laughs> this shirt. This was a bad, like this was a bad choice. <laughs> Kind of like it. Uh, <laughs> all right. How about uh, the, uh, between both of you and away playing versus managing, coaching, or I can also throw for Sam specifically commissioning. Oh, commissioning. <laughs> you didn't have to do a whole lot. behind I did some stuff. Uh, but that was great. Like, do you know my biggest, this is true. Do you know my biggest job as commissioner? I sat four feet off of the desk and actually ran a stopwatch for the 15-second countdown because I was sick of watching Christian just sort of estimate it. No one else was doing it. Now, yeah, that, well, now we got a clock. Studio, now yeah, right. Now somebody has to do it. I, um, as as someone who was watching a, a, an online match go down, I can agree with time getting away from you mm -hmm. that's true all right uh and rachel for you playing versus coaching um i like coaching i think that it might have been a little easier if we weren't doing it in this sort of digital way like that's it there is sort of a removal from it like i'm good friends with a few players and, and i'm happy to do that and whatnot but you know it, it sort of doesn't hold a candle to the years that i was competing though i don't think not yet, anyway. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, this one more for Sam, I think, but I'll go this way. Ryan Sandberg or Ernie Banks? Oh, that's all you. That's so hard. <laughs> I, I, the reason I'm going to say Sandberg is Sandberg was playing when I fell in love with the Cubs. When gotcha. when I fell in love with baseball, uh, I could go to Wrigley and see Ryan Sandberg play. Uh, Banks was long retired by the time I really fell in love with the sport. So, you know, learning everything about Banks and his legacy within the team happened after the fact for me. So Sandberg is more like a part of my childhood and a part of my very strong memories of loving baseball. But man, was Banks just amazing. That is that is the hardest one yet. But by a nose at Sandberg. Okay, I'll get it. I mean, I empathize. I was a big Sox fan growing up, so I had an affinity for uh, the Cubs as a Red Sox fan. We were both lovable losers for so long, in a way. Uh, so I'm going to slide in here really quickly before Paul gets his next this or that in. But I have to ask, Sam, have you watched um, a kid in King Arthur's court? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Fair okay. Favorite of the podcast question: Poutine or loaded French fries? Wow. Do you want to take this one? No. Um, I mean, look, I've been to French Canada. Uh, poutine is fine. Okay. Uh, but I'm an American at heart, so I'm going to go load of French fries. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Okay. Kill Bill Volume 1 or Kill Bill Volume 2? Kill Bill the Whole Bloody Affair. The Whole Bloody Affair. I know you're going to say that. I cheated. Did you totally cheat on that one? Cheated. That's fine. Um, look, you haven't seen Kill Bill until you've seen it in Quentin's private screening room cut together as one long now film. Now you're just bragging. And yes, yes, <laughs> yes, 
I will bend down and pick up that enormous name I just dropped. Yes. Excuse me. <laughs> Here it is. Uh, yeah, no, I've, been, I've been ruined. I've been ruined. So okay, uh, but I'll say volume two. I am too. Okay. Or any two. You can't you can't be the crazy idiots and the yeah that whole that scene even though both movies in my opinion. Sounds good. All right. Uh, I got one last one I'll do, and I, I got you in trouble before. We'll see if I get you in trouble again. Uh, if I play it today, who wins? Above the line or the Shire Wolves? Shire Wolves. <laughs> Call that. Call that. 100%. That, that's, a, that's a wheel spin determination. Real spin determination. Okay. All right. <laughs> I think the four of us match each other blow for blow general knowledge. I think that that wheel spin decides that match. Yeah. Uh, there you go, Robert Adams. Didn't vote poutine. That's the last time I watched not another poutine movie. <laughs> I mean, look, do whatever you want, but you're making vintage Captain America there. <laughs> I do honestly. I love that movie. I kind of really do. It's one of my favorite parody movies ever. It's a really good one. It like really it really is. Um, I am so happy with how many people have told me over the years how much they love that movie, and I'm so glad that it 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 more or less it picked up the 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 mantle that the first two scary movies yeah. had right. sort of built, and then it got in there, and then. It kind of fell apart after that in terms of the just the sheer amount of parody films and the production quality, shall we say. Like they were, I mean, they're trying to make those movies for so cheap. That was just a money grab. Like they were like, well, if we can make it for $2 million and it makes $5 million, then everybody wins. It's like you can't make a movie like that that cheap. I mean, not that not another team movie cost all that much money. I think we were made for $8 million or $10 million or something, but all the money's on the screen. Yeah, they put effort into it. Like, there's no... Randy Quaid was the biggest name in that movie. It's true. <laughs> Honestly. No, no, you're right. You're right. absolutely right. So, yeah. And, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm so sorry that I didn't get to refresh myself on this, but like the, and I can't think of the damn character's name or the actor, and I feel really bad about it. Um, the guy who was in Varsity Blues that was also in that movie. Oh, Ron Lester. Yeah. Ron Lester, yeah. Ron Lester. Um, like I, getting him in, in that movie was like, as soon as I saw him in that movie, I was like, I loved it because Varsity Blues is one of my favorite movies ever. So that might be Ooh. the biggest name I can drop because I went to college with James Vanderbeek and was in a, a, a acapella group with James Vanderbeek. That's my biggest name. I can what drop was the name of this acapella group? Yeah, uh, we, it's very important. This is very, he will text him. Thirty Six Madison Ave because it was the address of our school. Uh, also called Mad Ave. I'll, if you tell me, I'll send you files of him singing and you singing oh, together. I'm you going to need going. these files, Paul. I will gladly send them to you. I I, I showed Rachel what my text chain with games looks like and i don't think we've said an like a straightforward thing to each other in a year and a half it's <laughs> constant roasting back and forth i cannot tell you the amount of times i have sent him the dawson crying gift <laughs> like i just attach it to everything i send him 
I should definitely send you the drunken karaoke we did uh Billy Joel only the good die young then as well. I'll definitely send that one along. Okay, you've just improved my next week tremendously. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Well, that will end this or that. We are running out of time with our our couple here. So please start getting your chat questions in. We will quickly uh, promote what's going on next week in the show while you're getting those questions in. Uh, and we'll get Kelsey on screen. Welcome on screen, Miss Kelsey. Hi. Hello. Get your guys' questions. I'm excited to hear what you guys have to ask. So get them in. All right. Yeah. Uh, so real quick. While you all get those questions in the chat, um, make sure you get those questions for Sam and Rachel in. Uh, Streamlabs will take priority. So if you get those Streamlabs questions in, uh, streamlabs.com slash call to action podcast, you will get that in first. Um, otherwise, get those questions in the chat and Kelsey will make sure that they put them up there. But while we're waiting for those, we are going to go ahead and promote what we have going on for the channel coming up. So I'm going to go ahead and start with Paul. Okay, uh, I've got Schmobates coming up this week. We're going to be having a Quirky Mercs-themed Schmobates. I don't know any of the guests yet. Alex doesn't let me know exactly what's going on, but it could be a Quirky Mercs-themed debate, as we've been doing a lot of the faction debates. Uh, Rachel was on last week with the, uh, the uh, as a ghost judge. It should be a lot of fun. Um, we're also probably doing breakdowns. We usually do them for every match, um, at least most of the matches. So now that it's slowed down to two a week, it's a lot more manageable for us to do. Uh, we'll take those down. Uh, then Saturday, we'll be doing Call to Action Live, as we usually do. Uh, break down the week, do some previews usually. Then next week, we'll have another show of action. We don't have our guest planned yet. We did book two weeks from now. Uh, we're still dotting the I's and crossing T's on uh, other guests. Should I announce the two-week guest? No? You know anyone else? Okay, I won't wait on that then, I guess. But we have a, we have a great guest, another legacy-type, I'll say that, a legacy-type player and guest player. in two weeks. An old-school player that should be a lot of fun. <laughs> a lot of fun for that one, um, but that we good. And I'll let you know as soon as we know our guest for next week. We will let you know in our chats and on Facebook and on the Twitter. You know all that as we always do. Uh, without further ado, Kelsey, if you want to start getting any questions in there, let's let's hit it. All right, perfect. We have a Streamlabs from PC who donated and asked question for both of you. What's a must-have for you both for your wedding? Oh. Elton John on piano. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. We're starting a GoFundMe. <laughs> um, I believe he still does that for $1 million, although I don't know. He'll probably be retired by then, so we might need 2 to $3 million. Uh, All of your donations are, are graciously accepted. Thank you. We will put the link in the description. <laughs> Thank you. Definitely. Please attach the link to the bottom. <laughs> this is all news to me. We haven't decided yet, but most likely uh, we will have either one of these as our theme or a combination thereof. But wine and movies will somehow be involved with the wedding and the theme. So we Not can't do that without either one of those things. Yeah. Absolutely. It would be a yeah, for the two of you to come out to like the Pulp Fiction like scene where like they're dancing and just do that dance. Very <laughs> nice. All right. And then we had a question from Level 2 Trading. Uh, uh, were you ever on an episode of Still Standing, Sam? You know, you could ask me that. I think I saw that question before. Is is your Google broken? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was in. An, I was in two episodes of Still Standing, <laughs> uh, and uh, that was a super fun show um, because uh, Jamie Gertz and Mark Addy were the leads of that show. And you know, I mean, I saw Lost Boys uh, when I was uh, coming of age, so big time crush on Jamie Gertz. 
Uh, it was really, really fun to work with her. She was amazing. And uh, Mark Addy is so funny. Um, it was such a delight to talk to because Mark Addy, who, you know, he's been a successful actor now 30 years. Right. Um, he's one of those guys when I, when I would chat with him, like, I got the feeling if at any point in his career, someone was like, sorry, Mark, you can't be an actor anymore. He'd go, oh, all right. And then just find something else to do that he'd pour his heart and soul into and be great. And like anytime I meet someone like that, uh, I'm I'm always uh, kind of impressed because this is such a weird business. But he was such a cool, down to earth, hilarious guy. Mm -hmm. All right, and we have two people asking very similar questions. I'll put them both up. Uh, we have Brian Espont, favorite match both of you competed in, and then the follow favorite match both you competed in. Who is not? Who's the boss? So. <laughs> that tends to be my go-to. <laughs> um, but a, a slightly less uh, one that, that I'm really proud of is, is Clark and I taking the belts back from Odd Couple. You know, losing to them the first time was kind of tough. And the the second match against them was a battle. And and we managed to, you know, to, to pull that off. And that was, you know, again, something that um, nobody had managed to do before. Lose the belts and then take them back. So that's a, right up there on my list. Um, I mean, I've said before, my favorite match uh, is a match I didn't even win. Uh, it was against Mark Riley. Uh, right, right. That was so much fun. I had, like, honestly, take away the studio lights, the cameras, and the audience. It felt like we were just two dudes hanging out in a North Hollywood apartment with our friends. We're like, all right, we're going to ask you guys movie trivia questions. Let's see who knows more. Like, it felt like that to me because Mark and I – uh, we've certainly grown a lot closer more recently than we were then, but he's just such a great dude and he's so easy to get along with. And, um, and you yeah. both killed it. Like you both were like running your cat, your, mm. your wheel categories. Like it was neck and neck. It was yeah. a really good. That match. was one that could have gone either way. I missed, yeah. I missed a steal. And if I get the steal, I win that match. It was the, the brand of beer that ET steals out of the fridge. And I was torn between Miller and, and Coors. Uh, and, uh, we know, always remember the questions we didn't get. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, it didn't matter because I was like, ah, whatever. It was a 50-50 shot. But I had so much fun playing. It was, it did, it, there was no pressure there, oddly, in my mind on that match. It was just a fun match about movie trivia with a great guy. So that one's probably my favorite still. Fair enough. All right. And we have another... Uh, Super chat coming in. Uh, you've been on a lot of sitcoms. Do you have a favorite? Uh, Friends. I wasn't on Friends, but it's my favorite sitcom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my favorite sitcom I was ever on is Just Shoot Me. Uh, because of the incredible cast on that show. I've never, I, I mean, there are a lot of great sitcom casts, but mm -hmm. what I got to see in person, how they all sort of work together, how they workshop scenes, how they make sure. Uh, that nobody steps on anyone else's lines. Everyone gives everyone else a chance to nail their jokes and everyone wants everyone else to succeed. Uh, that sounds like, oh, every show should be like that. But believe me, they aren't. Um, and that show, just watching that ensemble work together and getting to be a part of it was uh, just one of my happiest memories on set. That was one of my favorite shows watching. I feel like in the in like the late, early aughts, there was a lot of really good sitcom or 90s really so that's one of my favorite ones i love to hear you say that it's awesome oh. 
Very, very cool. All right, let's find one more. Now, one more left. Yes. Let's see, okay. Uh, this question, without getting into specifics, uh, does free agency signing strategy change when you don't have the first round pick? Mm. It's pretty far down the line. Uh, it's hard to say. Yeah, I don't know if know. we'll have a first round pick or not. So if we're assuming that the suspect... You, you gave it up when you did the trade with the Droogs. Sure, I forgot about them. <laughs> I think it'll depend on what the drafts look like, and we'll have to be a little more diligent this year about uh, looking into unknown rookies, a la Adam Collins. I'm going to text my attorney <laughs> and see if I can get out of this deal. Sounds like a bad one. <laughs> I love that. Perfect. All right. Well Let's go ahead and take that off the screen. Thank you so much. Alrighty. Thank you so much to everyone who has been hanging out with us. Uh, Sam, Rachel, I did not get to tell you this earlier, but if you don't mind hanging back with us for a quick second after we get off of the air, just for a quick debrief, we would love that. Thank you so much to everyone who has hung out with us tonight on this happy Sunday. We really appreciate every single person who is in the chat, every single person who has followed us for this long. We really, truly, truly appreciate you. So Sam, Rachel, thank you so much for coming in and and hanging out with us on this Sunday. We genuinely, genuinely appreciate it. You two are legends in this league. So thank you so much again from everyone. And also let us know what you have going on right now. Oh, what do we have going on right now? Do well, as you know, I'm on Schmodown backstage on Tuesdays at 1230 Pacific uh, time. So please tune in. Ben and I are working out our relationship on that show and <laughs> having fun. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and I also am doing a lot of episodes of Casterly Talk with Ken Napsok uh, and on his channel, YouTube. It's all Game of Thrones all the time, which I am all about. I will be on this week. Uh, we'll be talking uh, season one, episode six. So tune in. All right. Um, I'm uh, on a handful of episodes of Doug Benson's podcast, Doug Loves Movies. Some that have already posted. Some might be coming up. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm in a uh, movie that recently dropped on VOD called Immortal, oh, okay. um, which is a, a horror anthology about immortality. And I won't say anything more than that because I think people should check it out for themselves and see if it uh, if it if it works for them. Hopefully it will. Um, yeah, it's four short films, total horror anthology about immortality, and I'm in one of them. I think it's the last one. So I make you earn it. <laughs> <laughs> Immortal on VOD wherever you get VOD. <laughs> All right, Kelsey. All right, uh, you can find me at KelseyKins90 on Twitter and Instagram. You'll also find me all the time on here on Called Action, especially Called Action Lives. I will see you on Saturday nights. And I've been working on personal projects, but they're a little bit on hiatus because of tournament season. So I guess you'll see them eventually. <sighs> all right, for myself at Paul underscore Dude. Paul underscore Deduzzi on Twitter. You can find me a lot of times on Action Industries that I produce for Ben and Drew, doing all three of their shows on the weekends and the general debate, which we do, uh, which is kind of a, it's a fun little debate show uh, we got going on every other Thursday. Uh, also, I will be on, I have my own YouTube channel called PLD Projects, where I've been reviewing the episodes of V, and I will eventually get to the Harristance. Eventually, I promise I will, one day when I, get, when I go through every movie that Ed Harris has ever been in, and I make you love him like I do. <laughs> or that try. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see what happens. You all know me. It's your girl, Danny Joy, here. You can find me on Twitter at Danny Joy D 
D-A-N-N-D-A-N-I-E-E-J-O-Y. You can also find me here every Sunday with my favorite co-host, Mr. Paul Denizio, and my favorite little lady right there, Kelsey Kirkland, hanging out on Chill the Action with Schmodown Pro every week. Thank you so much. You can also find me on YouTube under my own stuff. Just find me. It's there. Watch the book is coming out. I promise. Watch the book is where I go through a movie and its book adaptation. So uh, go and look for that. Uh, and that's pretty much it. So thank you, Rachel. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Kelsey. Thank you, Paul. And for everyone else in the Call to Action crew, thank you all so much. This is an Action Army podcast, y'all. So as always, thank you so much for hanging out with us tonight on this Sunday. And we salute you. Have a good night. Thank you. Find me on Cameo. <laughs> <laughs> Cameo. Yeah. Cameo.